there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This is Jeff T. from the Club 520 Podcast. When it comes to your feet, eBay's got your back. When you see the blue check mark that says authenticity guaranteed, that means real experts are checking your sneakers. Every stitch, down to the sole. They even smell them. Because nothing says fresh like the scent of real kicks. So kick back and relax. From the drop to your doorstep, eBay doesn't play games with your sneaker game. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay Authenticity Guaranteed. Visit ebay.com for terms. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. It's boxing. A look inside boxing with Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix. Interviews, analysis, and everything going on in boxing. And now a man who I wish was called the Boston Bleeder. All doctors to the ER. It's sort of like getting punched in the face. Chris Chris Mannix. All right, welcome back to another episode of the SI Boxing Podcast. Glad you could join me this week. Got a great show in store for you. Greg Bishop, senior writer, Sports Illustrated. He joins me, and Greg had a chance to talk to Gennady Golovkin this week. And Golovkin had some interesting things to say about a potential fight with Canelo Alvarez uh, later this year. So stick around. Great conversation with Greg Bishop. A little bit later on, Devin Haney, the 135-pound champion. He's had an interesting last couple of months. He lost his title, then he regained his title, uh, and then he found himself in some controversy with some comments he made that were uh, racially tinged, to say the least. So I sit down and talk to Devin Haney, and he explains everything that's been going on over the last few months. Quick housekeeping note, if you like this podcast, very easy way you can support it. Head over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, let's go. All right, joining me on the podcast once again, making his first appearance since we did this six beers deep in my dining room from SI, Greg Bishop. What's up, Greg? Thanks for having me, Mr. Mannix. I, I think this actually will be worse than that one, probably, but we can definitely compare at the end and see how we did. Yeah, it's, it's possible. It's definitely possible. But, but it's good to have you on this week uh, because you are kind of leading the news with some of your reporting over the last couple of days. Uh, your latest piece over at SI.com, you talked to Gennady Golovkin, and you know one of the more interesting things Golovkin said and that's certainly going to resonate throughout boxing was that he is not willing to fight Canelo next. He wants to fight his mandatory Camille Zarameta. This has been something that's been talked about by people around Golovkin, but this was the first time Golovkin himself ha- has said it. What was your conversation like with Gennady and, and what did you take away from it? 
Yeah, I think what we've seen a lot in recent days is a pivot from Canelo's side, recent weeks, I guess, you know, that, that they want that fight in September, that they wouldn't mind, you know, having that fight next. And I think what, what, what Gennady did was sort of a response to that. You know, I think what he wanted to make clear was that this is a very uncertain time, that he's not sure even when he can resume training, that, you know, he, the world is sort of upended right now. But he has he's, he's thought through all these options. And the one thing that he is most certain about is that he will not fight Canelo next, that he wants another fight in the interim, that he wants the mandatory in the interim, and that the plan would be to do Canelo as the second fight to complete their trilogy. Now, he didn't close the door on doing both of those even this year. You know, it just sort of depends. When do sports come back? You know, do, do, can he get a fight in in September and then another one in December or August and December? You know, could, could, could that happen? It seems at this point unlikely, but he could do the mandatory without fans. He could do it as one of the first fights in boxing's return, whenever that is. And he didn't take any of those options off the table. The only option that he said he definitely didn't want to do was to fight Canelo next, which has been Canelo's stated goal. Yeah, I mean, how did that strike you? Because, you know, like for the last two years, you know, we, we've had Golovkin just clamoring for that rematch. I mean, I, I was in the ring with him back in June after he knocked out Steve Rolls. And I said, like, who do you want to fight next? Gennady goes, everybody knows. I want to fight Canelo next. And... <laughs> Look, it didn't happen, and that has everything to do with Canelo Alvarez not wanting Golovkin to get that third fight just yet. But here we are, you know, in May of 2020, and now it's Golovkin that doesn't want the fight. Do you have any theories as to, to, to why he wouldn't want to take that fight next? Well, first off, I like your Golovkin accent. It was really good, and you need to do the best. Everybody you knows. You need to do the best line from the interview when he said to me, I am a law-abiding citizen in that accent. It was my favorite line from the whole thing. Anyway... Um, you know, this did not come from him specifically, but if I'm reading between the lines, just myself, you know, having dealt with him, knowing his team, having written about him on several occasions, I think he wants to, you know, shake a little rust off and see if he looks like the guy who he looked like before he lost to Canelo. You know, I think what we saw in his two fights last year was a fighter who didn't look like the same Gennady Golovkin. He didn't have necessarily the same pop. He did have a knockout in the win over Rolls, but, you know, it wasn't as impressive, I think, as Gennady Golovkin has been throughout the entirety of his career. I mean, watching that guy as he was coming up, just knocking people into next week, I mean, he was, he was, he hurt people. And you could hear, I remember sitting in New York ringside at the Curtis Stevens fight, and you could just hear the sound of when his gloves hit that guy, hit Stevens in the ribs. You know, it was just like, it just hurt to listen to it. And I, I don't know if that Gennady Golovkin's done. You know, there, there may never be that much power in him again. We may have seen the peak of all that stuff. And so I think, I'm, again, I'm just reading between the lines here. He definitely did not say this. But I think he wants to get in and see how he does against somebody else other than Canelo before he jumps in and tests himself against Canelo. And you know, it, it is in some ways an interesting strategy, Chris, right? Like the guy is 38 years old. He's not getting any younger. Canelo is significantly younger. You would think that this is just going to continue to tip the other way. But I guess there is something to be said, too, for not rushing into a fight if you don't think necessarily that your, your best chance is to do it right away in September. Yeah, I mean, like shake the rust off. It's like you had two fights last year. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like you were inactive in 2019. And you're going to be just as active as Canelo would be uh, if the fight took place in September. I mean, I've got a couple of theories. One is that 
2019 wasn't very good. Or at least it wasn't like an A-level year for Golovkin. Yeah, he was 2-0 and and he got a piece of that middleweight title back. But the Rolls fight wasn't spectacular. He got hit a lot in that fight. And then against Darvinchenko, he was hurt, you know, during that fight. I mean, he was banged up during that fight. So, like, uh, maybe he wants to have a, a brilliant performance and and that's part of it. The other part is... I mean, Jonathan Banks, maybe he wants another, you know, camp as his trainer. It's only been two fights with Banks. And as we point out, neither one of them had ended with spectacular type performances uh, for Golovkin. So maybe that's part of it too. The thing is, Greg, like all things being equal, I'd be fine with, you know, do Zarameta in August, do Canelo versus Billy Joe Saunders in September, and do the fight between those two in December if all things work out. The problem is, like, Golovkin has this big deal with the zone. They're not paying him to fight Zarameta. They're not paying him to fight Steve Rolls. They got a good performance out of him with Derevinchenko, which was like a fight of the year by many publications, but it, it, it certainly is not worth the investment that they're making in Golovkin. So I think Golovkin's biggest fight with all this is going to come from DAZN, who gave him a contract that was reportedly in the neighborhood of $100 million. Like, you know, you're really going to give him a big chunk of money to go fight a guy that he should knock out within four rounds? That would be the third fight of the deal. It just it just seems like a lot of wasteful spending when it comes to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think when you're looking at Golovkin's future, it's sort of murky in that regard. Like there's a very real chance that he that he doesn't get the six fights from the deal in. You know, does this guy have six fights left in him? Are there six interesting fights total to be done there? And then, you know, you look at it, he's, he's 38. He's a power puncher. He's always been a power puncher. You know, does that continue to translate when you hit 39 or 40? And if you lose to Canelo Alvarez again, you know, then you have two losses. You, you've come out on the wrong end of a, a very interesting and, and entertaining trilogy. You know, is there a sense that maybe you hang it up because you're not the fighter, especially the power puncher that you once were? I think there's a flip side to that, too. And I asked him about this. You know, like maybe he went, he beats Sarameta, you know, wins the mandatory and goes and avenges his loss to Canelo. That's not something I think will happen. It's not, I think, the likely scenario in this um, when we look and project into Gennady's future. But if he did, why not just walk away then? Isn't that the perfect ending? You know, brain intact, you know, only loss avenged, two great victories to go out. And, you know, he, he sort of hedged when he answered it. One thing that he, he played up a lot in our interview is he said that he wants to break the defense record for middleweights. He could do that if he wins the mandatory because he picked up the two vacant belts in his last fight. Uh, you know, the other thing that he said he considers is his overall legacy, you know, the, the Hall of Fame, you know, how we'll remember him in terms of the greatest middleweights ever. And, you know, I think that there's some delicacy there in terms of how this is going to end up for him. And I think how many fights he'll take, who he, who he fights and win. Like, it's fair, and uh, I understand why he's trying to sort through that because it will shape sort of the back end of his legacy. That said, I agree with what you just said a minute ago. Like, it doesn't seem like waiting to fight Canelo is going to give him a better chance to win. And so I'm not exactly sure what the strategy or reasoning is there, but it has to be something. Or if not, why wouldn't you just take the fight in September? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to see him go this route. And you kind of had a hang, an inkling that it was coming based on some of the comments that were made by people around him. But to hear Golovkin say it on the record like he did to you uh, was was pretty interesting. I think it puts him against DAZN in an interesting sort of position of battle of, all right, you're going to take this fight. We'll give you X dollars. Like if he wants to go to Kazakhstan and and do the fight, I mean, maybe you can do, you know, big crowds in Kazakhstan in August. I Maybe. 
Uh, that might make some sense, but you just not, it's just not worth like five plus million dollars in the U.S. to see him fight uh, Camille Zarameta. Just not, uh, not all that interesting to me. All right, let's talk about uh, another fighter that's got an interesting decision to make and or made an interesting decision very recently. Andy Ruiz, uh, the former unified heavyweight champion, uh, he has decided to team up with Eddie Reynoso from Team Canelo. Uh, Reynoso, of course, has done a great job with Canelo and then with Ryan Garcia after that. So it's it's a, something that's been rumored for a while, Greg, that Ruiz might team up uh, with Reynoso. What do you think of this pairing? And you know, is Reynoso the guy that can get Andy Ruiz back on track? I do like the pairing. And I think, you know, this is going to tie back to Golovkin again, but I did like what the Reynosos did when you look at that second fight with Gennady Golovkin. You know, that was a strategic change. That was, you know, they, they, they did their job in the way where they adjusted in a way where they made that the, the Canelo could win that fight. And to me, Andy Ruiz is a guy that, um, you know, has some power that, um, you know, maybe can move a little better than we give him credit for. And I think incorporating strate- strategy and tactics into his game, you know, in a way where he, he's obviously going into the ring against a guy like Anthony Joshua or those other big imposing heavyweights overmatched in terms of athleticism. You know, I think that the more that he can, you know, lean on strategy, the more that he can become a more complete boxer, the better. And I just think that everyone in that heavyweight division is is flawed. We've seen, you know, we've seen uh, Fury get knocked down and almost out. We saw him dominate Deontay Wilder. We saw Joshua lose to Ruiz. We saw Ruiz win and lose against Joshua. I just think that um, as you look at that division and how it plays out with them and other heavyweight fighters, what you're seeing is, you know, an interesting landscape, and I don't think it would hurt Ruiz to complete his game in a way that I think the Reynosos can help him. Yeah, I think they can help him, and I think being in that camp is certainly useful because you've got two serious guys in Canelo Alvarez and Ryan Garcia that are uh, are not going to basically stand for any kind of, of nonsense. Uh, all that being said, I mean, like, it's really up to Andy Ruiz. I mean, I don't know that Eddie Reynoso is any better of a strategist than Manny Robles is. I mean, Robles is the guy who, less than a year ago, uh, devised the strategy that helped Ruiz beat Anthony Joshua. So he's a pretty damn good trainer uh, if he puts together that type of strategy. Uh, it wasn't, you know, Manny Robles that told Andy Ruiz to eat at every Wendy's in the Southern California area and, you know, come in 20-plus pounds overweight First fight against Joshua in the rematch. I mean, that was on Andy Ruiz. So, like, I think strategy is 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 one thing, but it's all about how Andy Ruiz comes into that camp. If he comes into that camp focused, I could be a great pairing. I mean, Andy Ruiz is only thirty years old. Like, he still has prime years left in his career, and he's fighting on that PBC side of the street uh, where there can be some significant fights. I mean, he can sort of work his way back against like a uh, Dominic Brazil or. Yeah, you know, somebody along those lines, then maybe step up, you know, crossover on Eddie Hearn's side. You got Dillian White calling him out. That's a pretty fun fight if they can put that fight together. Uh, so there's plenty of options and plenty of opportunity for Andy Ruiz to to climb back to the mountaintop. It's just a question of how seriously he's going to take it. I mean, if he comes into his next fight, you know, whether it be the summertime or the fall, and he weighs like 270 plus, it's like, well, none of this matters. Like, you, it, it doesn't matter. But if he comes in at like 250, and looks like he's been putting in the work. You know, everyone that's worked with Andy Ruiz, from Bob Arum to Eddie Hearn, you know, all the way down the line, they have all said Ruiz has real talent. So if it turns out he's taking that, he's trying to harness that talent the right way, I think he can be a heavyweight champion once again. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't know if you saw, but Wendy's is selling out of burgers. So I don't know if we're off to a bad start with the, uh, with the uh, partnership here, but maybe there's a connection to what you just said a few minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, who knows with, with Andy Ruiz, but um, you know, I'm rooting for him. He's a nice guy and a talented, and a talented fighter. So I'm curious to see what that weight looks like when he comes in uh, the next time around. A couple of things, Greg, you, you got Mike Tyson out there once again, and, and, so much has been made of this social media video where Tyson was whacking away at the chess guard of his former trainer. Tyson's 53 years old, been over a decade, well over a decade since he's fought uh, in his last fight. His last two fights were against Danny Williams and Kevin McBride, two journeymen that both knocked him out. And there's some momentum now to see Tyson back in the ring once again. Some people actually believe that there could be some kind of George Foreman-like renaissance uh, with Mike Tyson. Uh, what did you make of the video you saw of Tyson working the pads? And what do you, do you want to see Mike Tyson active once again, exhibition or otherwise? I mean, what do you think? Well, I, I would give a couple part answer there. The, the first is I, I actually really enjoyed the video. I thought it was cool. Like it reminded me that Tyson, even at 53 is more exciting than a lot of fighters that we watch on various networks. You know, it was, there was a snap to the punches. There was a, sort of the way that he hits, you know, that compact, powerful, you know, thud, thud, thud. I mean, it was, it was really cool to watch. I'm not going to lie. I watched the video a few times and I was like, wow, this is cool. It reminds you sort of like the last dance. It reminds you just how incredible of an athlete Tyson was in his prime, how exciting he was, how electrifying he was, how he made you like stop what you were doing and sit and watch a video of a 53 year old man throwing punches at some pads that happened. That said, I don't really want to see a, a Tyson fight. Uh, these things tend to not work out that well, in my opinion. You know, Roy Jones, it's sad when we watch him fight these days, even when he wins. Uh, you look to a guy like Shane Mosley, I think, you know, it was, it was sad at the end when he was still fighting. I get why these guys can't let go. I get why they want to step back in. I even get why people are still talking about Mayweather Pacquiao, too, and they might be using canes by the time they get in the ring again. But I just don't. We've seen too many guys suffer too many injuries, have too much brain damage to, to make a farce into reality. I think that, you know, Mike Tyson was one of the most exciting fighters of all time. I think we should leave it at that. And I'd watch him do mitts all day, but I'd rather he doesn't take any risk. You know, I don't think there's any reason to watch that. Yeah, and he seems to have come a long way from kind of the really scary guy who did some really bad things in the 1990s. He's kind of become something of a caricature with the appearances and the hangover movies, and he's got an interesting podcast now that I've listened to on several occasions. Uh, I mean, maybe he wants to get back into the promoting business. Maybe he wants to get into the training or managing business. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of ways that Mike Tyson can contribute to boxing. And look, I'd even be okay if Tyson decided to do some kind of exhibition match, which is really all he's talking about at this point. I mean, if he wanted to do like a exhibition match with headgear with Lennox Lewis or Vitaly Klitschko and raise money for first responders or nurses or something that's going on during this pandemic, I am all for it. Put it on Zoom pay-per-view and, and we'll all get together and, and watch that that particular routing. But again, I'd remind people about what Tyson looked like at the end of his career. I mean, it was bad when he got knocked out by Danny Williams. It was worse when he got knocked out by Kevin McBride. I mean, you know, there's one, it's one thing to see Tyson kind of with the mystique taken away from lose to Evander Holyfield and Lennox Lewis, but 
Danny Williams and Kevin McBride. I mean, I, I get it that if there is a division where you can make this type of comeback, it's probably heavyweight because the power's always going to be there. And we've seen guys like Foreman do it. But 53 years old, I mean, I uh, the last thing you want to see is Tyson go up against some you know, PBC journeyman or uh, somebody in Eddie Hearn's stable and just get whacked around. It just, it just doesn't make, make a heck of a lot of sense. Here, to me. Here's one that would generate some revenue. Maybe how many people you think would pay to watch Tyson uh, in an exhibition hit Floyd Mayweather, you know, <laughs> two guys that are two of the greatest boxers ever. One of whom is pretty, pretty well beloved, despite obviously some things that happened in his past. The other, I think people have been waiting for the entirety of his career to see him get hit hard. Uh, I think that that would obviously be a mismatch in size, but I think you'd, you'd have people lining up to pay for it. Oh, you're right about you're right about how beloved Tyson still is. I mean, I you know you and I were both remember when we were ringside for Fury against Joshua or Fury against uh, Wilder when they introduced the former heavyweight champions and Tyson was introduced. He got by far the loudest ovation out of anybody there. I mean, he was revered by that crowd. Yeah, absolutely. I remember the the thunderous ovation that night. That was one of the last days we could actually gather uh, next to other people. And, uh, you know, they were, I remember all three guys coming in. And I think Tyson has really sort of transitioned, like you said, into this kind of lovable character. You know, it doesn't excuse anything that happened in his past. But, you know, I saw him do the Broadway show when I lived in New York. I've listened to the podcast. You know, there's been some interesting long four stories on him, like the GQ one. And, you know, I just don't know that he needs to, to re-enter a boxing ring to reclaim any past glory. He's very much in the public consciousness. He's very much taken an interesting life turn. And I also wonder if he could pass the drug test based on what you see and, and hear in terms of, you know, if he actually did come back to fight. You went to the Broadway show, did you? Was you're a big Broadway guy? Yeah, several several of them, you know. No, my, my wife would sometimes force me to go to them. But we, I did see Titans, I believe, because uh, they let writers in for free, which just tells you everything you need to know about me. I don't know if it's good or bad, but I, I mean, I, I lived in Hell's Kitchen for like 10 years and a stone's throw from Broadway, and I never went to a single show. I never did. I, I wonder if I'll regret that like later in life. I mean, I know every dive bar in the area, but uh, Broadway shows, hmm. Not, not so much. Not so much. Um, all right, let me finish with a, a story that I know will be near and dear to your heart because you are, as I found out during our experience covering the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight, a huge Game of Thrones fan. Uh, the Mountain from Game of Thrones, who is now, I guess, technically the world's strongest man uh, because of some deadlift record he set, uh, he wants to get into boxing, and he has challenged the guy he topped the deadlift record, Eddie Hall, to a boxing match, which is scheduled to take place, tentatively scheduled anyway, for September of 2021. So let me ask you, Bishop, you know, you you love yourself some Game of Thrones. And if you care to explain why you love Game of Thrones and what it does for your writing, I'll be happy to, happy to let the people know. But... Do you do you want to see the mountain step into the boxing ring? Well, let's just start with a little Game of Thrones background. So for the for the Mayweather-Pacquiao uh, fiasco, Chris Mannix and I rented a house in Las Vegas, and we lived together for a month. He has since called this the greatest month of his life repeatedly. He's been very consistent <laughs> in that regard. And what I decided during that month is since, you know, I wasn't with my wife or hanging out, you know, with anyone other than Mannix, that I would catch up on Game of Thrones. So that meant that I would watch you know, every episode of Game of Thrones daily. And I watched the entire 
first four seasons during that month. Now, I like to, to take breaks when I get writer's block, and Mannix found this incredibly funny that I would try to, you know, make myself write better by doing Game of Thrones. And so he would always hear me in the room with the theme music going, you know, whenever he could tell whenever I got writer's block. So that's a long way to sort of get to this question. And the answer that is no, I do not. Well, but before, to you, before you get to the answer, before, <laughs> yeah. before you get to the answer, like just, just to, to expound just a little bit on that, it would be like so for people to get a visual, visual of this. So Bishop went and he was assigned to Mayweather and I was in Vegas assigned to Pacquiao and all things Pacquiao. So I would sit every morning at the kitchen table and start writing and reporting and doing everything. And Bishop would do the same at the dining room table. And, and periodically, you just hear like a like a like a fist slam on the desk or or some kind of noise. And Bishop would get up, go upstairs, and all of a sudden I'd hear like this faint sound of and it's like, well, all right, we're on season whatever of of Game of Thrones. But continue. Yes, that was a a big part of our our month together. So I would watch almost anything Game of Thrones related, but I just don't like this in terms of boxing. You know, like uh, what what we've seen throughout history is like muscles don't make fights, right? Like it's it's a. Uh, it's not like how how much you could hit like the thing at the fair and make it go all the way to the top and ding. You know, this is all about boxing. Speed comes, speed derive, power is derived from speed. You know, the greatest boxers are great movers. They have incredible footwork. Mayweather would be a good example of a guy who had really small, almost kind of dainty hands. And yet, you know, when you watched him fight, it was really interesting to just watch the way he moved. And it was almost sort of poetic and... You know, a guy like Muhammad Ali was a big puncher, but he could move in a way that was so unique. And I think when you just line all that stuff up, you know, a boxing match between two guys that can lift a lot of weight doesn't do a lot for me. I mean, I don't think they'll be able to to really move in a way. Now, one of them might connect with like a crazy punch, I guess, would be like the reason to watch the exhibition. But otherwise, I just don't see it. It doesn't do a lot for me. You're taking this way too seriously. I don't expect the mountain to become the heavyweight champion. I mean, hell, I don't even know how old the mountain is. But like, like, I, I want if he's going to go out there and bang away at a fellow weightlifter, sign me up, man. I mean, I'm the guy that was part of the broadcast of Logan Paul versus KSI. Like, if I can watch that and see people entertained by that, bring on the mountain versus Eddie Hall. The mountain, by the way, Hafthor Bjornsson is his actual name. Uh, but I want to see him just wail away what would be disappointing like would be what if he got knocked out like in like one punch like that like what if, like so much so much of my my just uh, my ideals would be shattered if the mountain who's the guy that broke the viper's face who turned into a zombie version of the mountain after that if he went down off one punch man i uh, I'd feel pretty disappointed by that. I just think it would be too much of a letdown even then, like having seen the mountain actually fight in Game of Thrones. It was such a climactic scene near the end of the show. Uh, and I, I guess I, what I would like, though, is if you did cover that fight and you hopped in the ring afterward and he picked you up by your head and maybe crushed it, then I would buy that. I would, I would buy that fight for sure then. I might, I mean, in the buildup, I would probably ask him to do the eye gouge thing like just for, and take a picture. I mean, I'd want to be, I want every picture possible uh, alongside the mountain. So, you know, bring it on. It'd be worth it for the gram alone, I think. Yeah. Oh, e easily. That would be, oh, you kidding me? I'd, I'd make that my backdrop in every Zoom thing I ever did for the rest of my life. I mean, me and the mountain, oh, I'm all for it. Bring it on. And if the mountain wins versus Eddie Hall, how about the mountain versus the hound in real life? Like, let's get a real life boxing match 
between those two guys. Sign me up, man. Why don't we do Sign the Mountain versus Mannix? I'd be totally happy to do that, you know, Flynn. Yeah, that 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 seems like that ends badly for me. That that doesn't seem like it's a good idea for uh, my overall health. Uh, Greg, great work, man. Uh, you can read Greg's piece with Golovkin. It's up on si.com right now. It's a terrific interview, terrific story. And uh, thanks for joining me, man. We'll do this again uh, hopefully pretty Anytime, soon. Anytime, Chris. Thanks for having me, man. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. All right, joining me now on the podcast, he is the 135-pound champion, undefeated, and I'm sure anxious to get back into boxing, Devin Haney. What's going on, Devin? Uh, Nothing much. You know, I'm just staying safe. You know, I'm trying to keep myself uh, entertained as much as possible. Uh, Last time you said said in recess, this time you did it, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, I mean, all the titles that exist in boxing. It's good to see you back at the uh, the full-fledged champion at this point. How are you uh, How are you spending your quarantine time? Um, well, right now I'm in L.A. It was my my girlfriend's birthday. So we just had, like, you know, some, some of our friends over, and we just were uh, – we, we got an Airbnb and stuff like that. So we're just chilling, just, you know, swimming and stuff like that, trying to make the best out of it just with my – you know, close friends. How, how you know, as as you kind of look ahead to the future, like how in shape are you right now? If if a hundred percent is how you feel going into a fight, like what kind of condition percentage wise would you say you're in right now? I'm about seventy percent. You know, I've been running. I probably ran Mount Charleston maybe a week and a half ago. Um, I'm training every day. I just haven't been sparring. That's the only thing. So, of course, that's you know a very imp- important thing in boxing I haven't, I haven't been able to spar but that's the only thing i've been training every day running 
um, you know, eating, eating healthy, everything. So when, when it is time to come back, I won't be that far off to, to fight. So if Eddie, if Eddie Hearn called you tomorrow and said, Devin, we need you, or we got a date for you in mid June, would you be able to hit that? Oh, most definitely. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Mm-hmm. Easy. How's the, uh, the weight for you nowadays i mean you've been you know making 135 but you've talked about it a lot it's been you know a, a hassle to get there at times i mean how do you feel comfortable at this point still getting down to 135 what's crazy with this time off i've got i've i've got to you know um learn some things about my body that um i didn't know and one thing is that well when I was in, you know, training, you know, three times a day, I would do a lot of like weights and a lot of um, conditioning and I was putting on muscle mass. So when, when, it, when, it, when I had to take time off for, due to my injury, I realized that, that, I, that, you know, I lost a lot of muscle mass, which I, I gained, I, I lost weight as well. And, you know, I think 135 is going to be easier this time around. <laughs> so is it, you just stopped lifting as much? Is that the whole thing? Yeah, I, I just stopped lifting. Period. You know, I stopped doing. I stopped doing conditioning, which you know, of course, we're boxers. We don't need that much conditioning. And I felt like I was overdoing it a little too much. You know, I'm not a football player. I'm not a bodybuilder or anything like that. I'm a fighter, and you know, we. One thing I can do, and I, I know, I know how to get in there and fight. You know, that's just something that, you know, I've, I have the knowledge of, and you know, you don't need muscles to 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 win fights. Muscles don't win fights. So, and I realized that, and uh, I'm happy that I did. Is this the kind of thing that you think will carry on, like, throughout your career? Do you think you'll shy away from weightlifting, you know, from here on? Like, you think it's a, a permanent change? Definitely, definitely. You know, just, just light weights. I feel like I was just overdoing it. You know, I was, I was just trying to, you know, outdo myself each time, which made it to wow, which was, it was like a strongman contest with myself. And now I see, and um, I made the adjustment, and I feel so much better. Mm-hmm. So you had that shoulder injury uh, before this whole pandemic started. How, how are you feeling physically, and and how close are you to one hundred percent? I feel great. I'm, my my shoulder is one hundred percent back. You know, I can do everything now. I can spar, um, train, heavy bag, whatever it is. Uh, I can do lift weights if I if I chose to. I can do anything. My shoulder is back. Uh, it feels great. Feels like nothing ever happened. So I'm I'm happy with that. What what happened with that injury? Was that an injury that you suffered during your last fight? Was it in the training before your fight? What what happened there? No, I suffered it in in, in the fight. Um, uh, earlier early in the fight, um, I told my corner, you know, I told my dad, my shoulder, something something's wrong with my shoulder. He said, you know, uh, just use your jab, you know, and then just keep using your jab, and you know, keep boxing, and then you know. I threw it in a round and it actually came out. If you can watch the fight closely, you'll see that it actually came out and the back of my shoulder, it was sticking out. You know, you can, you, you can, you can see it in the back. It's mm. crazy. Is that the first major injury you've had in your boxing career? I've had an injury in my life. Like, mm-hmm. through, I played football, basketball, everything. Never had an injury in my life, so it's crazy. But And going through that, like, it was like, I wanted to like some type of like depression, like kind of, you know, because just being away from the sport, you know, I'm so used to training. I'm a, I love being in the gym. I love working out. You know, I love staying ready. So me being able to like, like I was handicapped, it just like, it took a lot out of me for sure. Mm-hmm. What were those, what was it, a couple of months that you just couldn't do anything? It was like three months. Mm-hmm. 
And what were those months like? I mean, how did you, you know, somebody like you that's been athletic his entire life, I mean, how do you spend that time? Man, um, literally just like trying to like sleep, sleep it away, to be honest with you. I would just, you know, sleep, lay down, watch TV, go back to sleep. Like, because it really wasn't much I could do, you know. I was, I had a cast on, like, like a, like a, a brace on, so it was just, it wasn't much I could do. What was it like for you? You're a really competitive guy. You're, you know, people look at you as maybe the most talented young fighter in all of boxing. As as you're recovering from that injury, you see whether it's Teofimo, you know, knock out Richard Comey to get a chance to fight Lomachenko down the line, or Ryan Garcia pick up back-to-back knockouts and see his star kind of rise. What was that like for you to kind of have to watch, knowing you had you couldn't get back in the ring? Yeah, um, I mean, I was happy because I knew that you know one day I would be back. But it was actually kind of like, you know, it, it, it kind of was even taking more out of me just, you know, seeing the, the, the guys who, you know, are my competitors and rivals, how, how they were advancing. And it felt like, you know, I kind of was, you know, staying the same because I couldn't do anything. And, you know, I, 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 didn't, know, I didn't know how my shoulder would react, you know, if it would heal, how it would heal right, um, how it would feel when it, when, when, when it was time to come back. And now that I am back, I feel great, and I'm happy with the way that everything worked out. It worked out in my favor, actually. You know, me being a, me being champion in recess through this whole thing was like it was. Just, it just was. It was one thing after another. It felt like, but now everything worked out in my favor, and I'm happy with the the, the way that it did. What was it like when when you're able to punch again? You know, and you, like you just said, you didn't know if your shoulder was going to come back. What was it like to kind of get back in the gym and, and be able to feel that you were going to get it all back? Yeah, um, when I first started, you know, I was like, when I would throw it, when I would throw my right hand, I was like, I was like, I wasn't supposed to. I, like, I was doing something wrong. Like, no, don't do that because you're not supposed to. Because just for, because I had just developed this mindset that to not throw my, to not throw my right hand because, you know, I wouldn't, I couldn't shadow box. I couldn't do anything. It was my, I, w- I would just literally walk around with it, with my arm just still. So when it, when, when I first I was like, like, it was hard for me to throw it because it just didn't feel right. But then I started to to get more you know um, more comfortable with throwing it, with comfortable with throwing it all the way you know. And uh, now I'm just throwing it without any problem now. How ang- how anxious are you to kind of get back into that mix? I mean, if you look at like 135 pounds and and eventually 140. You know, you're there, Teofimo's there, Ryan's there, Gervonta's there. I mean, a lot of just fun matchups that people can talk about. How anxious are you to kind of get that going? I'm very anxious, you know. I can't wait. There's so many big fights to be made in the 135-pound uh, division. Um, huge fights. I'm anxious to get back. I cannot wait. And, um, you know, I just, I'm just, I just want to show the world, you know, that I'm, that I'm the best 135-pounder out there. You, you've talked about these guys as kind of your rivals um, in, in the sport. If you look at all the names I just mentioned, who's your biggest rival? Who do you look at as the guy that's being, that's the guy that is like my nemesis? I think Ryan Garcia. I mean, that's the fight that the fans would love to see. You know, we're both 21 years old. We're both, you know, making crazy noise. Uh, we, we, we fought in amateurs multiple times. You know, everything just adds up. You know, it, it makes it a huge fight. Now, tell me about the amateur fights because I, when you were in the ring afterwards with Ryan, you know, I kind of brought it up, and Ryan had said he won all the fights against you. He beat you every single time in the amateur ranks. What, what actually happened? I said that I, said that I beat him every time. 
Oh, okay. All right. Sorry. Yeah. One of yeah. So what? What actually? What? What was? What's the truth there? I beat him every time. <laughs> every time. I think he said you split, right? Like he was like three and three, or or something like that. I don't believe anything he says. <laughs> what were uh, What were those fights like in the amateurs? No, there. Every fight was competitive. None of the fights were easy. Um, you know, Ryan has always been good, so that's why I'm not surprised with the noise that he's making and, and you know, the, the, the people that ask me about him, I always say that he's good. I've always said that because, you know, I know that his skill set, you know, he's crazy uh, amateur experience, um, crazy um, amount of na- national titles. You know, I knew one day he would he would be big. Mm. Do you, when you watch, you know, your fight with Antonio Moran was about a year ago, and that was a knockout of the year type of fight right there where you put Moran down and you got a lot of momentum off of that. And similarly, Ryan, one of the big reasons he's got the momentum now is that the two knockouts he had first round spectacular. Do, do you, as a young fighter, do you learn even more about kind of the value of, of a spectacular knockout in, in making yourself a bigger star? Yeah. You know, the fans at the end of the day, you know, they love knockouts. Mm. It, there's no way around it. You know, you can show uh, 12 rounds of superior, superior, superior boxing, but it's nothing like a knockout. So, you know, you go in there, you knock a guy out, you know, you can't finish. There's no way around it. Does that make you change at all your strategy going into fights, thinking like, all right, I can I can coast a little bit and get a big decision, or I can take a couple of chances and go in there and get that big knockout? Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, you want to go in there, you want to take the chances to, to, to get the knockout. But you just got to know your opponent. Not, not every fight is going to be a knockout. Not every... You know, fight is going to be pretty, but you know it's about getting the win. More importantly, yeah, no question. the The last few months while you've been out, I mean, you found yourself in a little bit of controversy with the comments about "I'll never lose" uh, to a white fighter. What happened there? What did you mean to say, and what did you kind of learn from all that? I mean, you know, the the correct thing was to say that you know I wouldn't lose to anybody. You know, and you live and you learn. You know, I'm I'm young and. Uh, you know, I understand what, what I said wasn't the correct thing to say. But at the end of the day, I feel like I, I, feel like I won't lose to, to anyone, any, any fighter. Were you surprised at how much that, that blew up? Were you surprised at how big a deal that became? Yeah, I, well, I was surprised to how, you know, the world was trying to, well, some, some, of, the, some of the fans were trying to portray me as, uh, as someone that was racist, which... It's not the case at all. You know, my my siblings are, you know, uh, half half white, half black. You know, mm. come on now, like my my younger my younger brother and sister. You know, my my uh, my my stepmom is is white. Like, come on now. So it was just crazy too. My 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 whole team is di- is diverse. You know, I don't you know I don't discriminate. I'm not racist at all. So that was that was that was definitely you know uh, surprising. I didn't expect that at all, but. What can you do about it? Mm-hmm. So I asked you about, you know, Eddie Hearn. If Eddie Hearn called you and said, be ready to go, there's a, a pretty good chance that whenever you fight again, there won't be crowds uh, in the building. How do you feel about that? I mean, are you going to be comfortable going into a fight if it's on a sound stage somewhere with only a handful of people in attendance? Yeah, that would be crazy. That would be crazy. Um, of course, you know, I'm willing to fight. If I had to fight in the backyard, I would you know, I'm a fighter. I love to fight. You know, just like sparring, it would be like it would be like sparring. It would feel somewhat like sparring, but you know, for the money and for you know the it's 
it's, it's going to go on paper. But, you know, I feel like I may fight better. You know, you never know. We just got to see. Mm. But I'm willing to fight whether, wherever, it is, wherever it is. I'll be willing to fight anybody. Mm. I'm going to tell Sergio to stop, you know, dumping on you because you can probably hear him when he says stuff like that, you know, when you're in the ring. <laughs> um, the, uh, has Eddie told you anything about your immediate future, what he's kind of planning for you? Uh, well, I talked with Eddie Hearn today, and, you know, we, we definitely – have you know some some big fights on, on our agenda you know we're trying to make the biggest fights possible of course with this pandemic we don't know when when it may happen or when when it when it will happen but when when the time when the time comes big fights are are on our agenda for sure mm-hmm. has he told you when to like expect to come back um no not really not necessarily you know we're 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 just waiting to see, you know, when when nobody knows nothing. He does he doesn't know when when it will happen. Looking at sometime maybe July, but we don't know. Do you think that you could? You mentioned not being able to spar. Do you think you could train for a fight if you couldn't spar during the training? I mean, I see me me. I, I have a gym in my house, so I I can make that. You know, that that could be where I spar and stuff like that. But I feel like anybody can spar if you if you have a you can spar outside if you if you needed to. You know, it doesn't mm. matter. You know, you can make sparring. You know, anywhere. Mm. You could bring your dad in as your sparring partner. Not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you, you gotta have some trusted, you know, sparring partners. You gotta know that they're, you know, safe. That they're being safe and they don't, you know, uh, they're healthy, hundred percent healthy. But you can make sparring anywhere. Who's going? Make, who's going more? Go ahead. Make them over there to your kitchen. We may have a sparring session right there in your kitchen. I, I don't. Even, I don't think I can get down to your weight class, man. I'm. I'm trying to hit <laughs> cruiserweight right now. I'm just trying to stay at that cruiserweight limit. There, you know, it's 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 tough. Who's uh Who's going crazier right now? You or your father during this pandemic? Me for sure. Yeah. I. I mean, every day I'm like checking to see if if they made like an announcement if they're gonna let uh, Vegas like if they're gonna let us go out and stuff like that. Like every day I'm checking it. I can't wait. Mm. I'm so house. Like I'm, I can't deal with myself. <laughs> I hear you, man. Well, Devin, uh, hopefully we get you back in the ring real soon. Uh, stay safe out there in California, and uh, thanks for joining me here on the show. Thank you. Stay safe as well. All right, that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to my guests. As always, subscribe to the podcast over at Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, you know I appreciate it, and I'll see you next week. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count.